This morning, I'm really excited that Brett Eads will be delivering the message. Brett, you know, is really, uh, he's been our youth pastor uh, along with Matt and Francis for quite a while. Uh, Brett was a youth pastor at, it was Crossroads, right? With a church in uh, Sarvada for quite some time. Brett is also on our board. Uh, Brett uh, preached a couple years ago. He's a great guy, has a wonderful message. His wife, Heather, that's Heather right back there sitting with Tracy. Heather's been working with me lately and Michael on sermon transcripts and uh, doing some of the uh, clerical stuff with, the, with our website. So they're an incredible family, two daughters, Bailey and Lily. And so I'm just really grateful for Brett and let's pray for him. So Brett, come up here. Show everybody your cool shirt because it kind of makes me jealous that you have it and I don't. But see that? Uh, I never said that. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Good one just to wear everywhere. Okay, so let me pray for Brett. Can I pray for you? Absolutely. Okay, because it'll give you extra superpowers if I pray for you. Okay. God, I thank you so much for, for Brett. And Lord, I thank you for Brett's uh, history. I thank you for Brett's love for you, and that his love for you is unique, uh, just as, it's, as, as you desire a relationship with each one of us. Thank you for the wonderful message that you've given him, and I pray, Lord, that you would open our hearts to hear what you have to say uh, to each of us. So, Father, thanks for Brett. Thanks for everybody here. Uh, we ask that you would help us to preach. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, good morning. Anyone that knows me knows that if you have a seatbelt, put it on now. This is going to be a little unusual. Uh, I don't do anything that's ordinary, so I apologize if it's too uncomfortable for anyone. Um, tonight, or today, this morning, we're going to pick up where we last left off. So when we were last together, we all witnessed a light that spread from a single source, the Christ candle here, out to all of us in the room. And... We're going to talk a little bit more about that light, explore it a little bit today. I'd like to just say on the outset that my first encounter with what would become the sanctuary was um, in the early 2000s. And from that first moment when I heard Peter struggling through the scriptures that he was teaching through at the time, I just felt at home. I didn't grow up in a Christian home. Um, I'd always had, always had a reverence for God, I'd always had a curiosity about God, but it was more kind of a hobby than anything else. Um, as long as he stayed out of my life, I was good. Um, so, but, but when I became a Christian, as Peter would say, I decided to follow Jesus, I was 23, I became a very um, on fire kind of zealot and really started searching for answers and wanted to get all of the answers. and. Uh, and then I ended up in the church for a little while, but then I found, I landed in Peter's church through a friend, and from the first message, I thought, this makes more sense than anything I've experienced thus far. I was, I was on my way into seminary, decided not to go, and I thought, you know, I'm just going to hold here for a little while, and then 16 years happened. So I'm blessed to call you guys my friends and my family. I often participate from afar. Um, I'm very much a part of Sanctuary Abroad, even though I live right here in Denver. <laughs> but I, I like that we're in a connected age where we can still be connected and still be together, but yet separate. And so I enjoy that. And, and I thank all of you for that. Um, I have a lot of friends who often ask me, well, what do we do next now that we have this message? 
what do we do with this new theology? Or what do we do with this new idea that we have, this new view? This, this one, this new view. What do we do with it now? And I often have to remind myself and them, it's not new. It's ancient. It's, it's not a new idea. It's not a new theology. It's not a new concept. It's written and woven into the story from Genesis to Revelation, but it's just missed many times in the, the preaching that we hear. And so tonight we're going to explore a little bit more of what Larry was talking about, concept C, Christmas. But we have to understand that we can't, we can't understand the light without talking about the darkness. And so tonight, today, today, sorry, all my tonight notes are in here. We're going to take a closer look at the darkness, concept B. We're going to kind of jump in and get it all over us, if you will. Um, we have a lot of favorite Christmas movies in our house. I think Elf's probably number one. But I have an unusual one that I think is only my favorite, and the girls always endure watching it. Um, and I I've long been a Tim Burton fan, and The Nightmare Before Christmas is one of my favorite Christmas movies. Um, there's a long-standing debate as to whether it's a Christmas movie or a Halloween movie. And and it's a hot debate. You can't just jump into that one lightheartedly. Um, there are very strong opinions, and, and we'll talk about that a little bit tonight. We're going to look at the film. The film follows the misadventures of Jack Skellington, Halloween Town's beloved Pumpkin King, who has become bored with the same annual routine of frightening people in the real world. When Jack accidentally stumbles onto Christmas Town, all bright colors and warm spirits, he gets a new lease on life. But he plots to bring Christmas under his control by kidnapping Santa Claus and taking over the role. Jack soon discovers that even the best laid plans of mice and skeletons can go seriously awry. To fully understand the importance of concept C, Christmas, we must jump ahead a bit also. Because the power of Christmas shines through the cross. Concept A, holiness, comes down, funneled through concept B, this messiness and death, and it creates concept C, Christmas. So let's jump ahead in the story and view concept C from just before the cross in John's, in John's gospel. In John 12, he tells, he, Jesus says, Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus answered, This voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, We have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. While you have the light, lest dark, uh, walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. This is a long passage, I apologize. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. 
Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. And the word that, uh, so that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah must be fulfilled, might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe. For Isaiah said, he has blinded their hearts and hardened, blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has, given, has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. That I, what I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. Well, I hope that you're not afraid to step into the darkness, step into the concept B, and, and get messy this morning with me for just a little bit. Growing up, I have memories of Halloween. I'm, I'm a candy fanatic. Uh, if there's candy somewhere and coffee, I'm there. I'm not missing out on candy. So I remember religious friends um, who would go in the basement and turn out the lights on Halloween and just choose not to participate. I wouldn't have anything to do with that. I was going out to get candy. They're, they're filling bags with candy out there. And you want me to go in the basement with you and turn the lights off? I don't think so. You go have at it. I'm going to go out and I'm going to take my chances. Um, but a lot of times in life, we find ourselves hiding in the basement with the lights out. Our fear of darkness, ironically, driving us into the darkness and isolation. We turn out the light, pretend not to be home, just stop participating. Well, let's take a closer look at Jack's story. We pick up where Jack has accidentally stumbled upon Christmas Town. Jack, this isn't fair! What's this? What's this? 
people singing songs. What's this? The streets are lined with little creatures laughing. Everybody seems so happy. Have I possibly gone daffy? What is this? What's this? Children throwing snowballs instead of throwing heads. They're busy building toys, and absolutely no one's dead. There's frost in every window. Oh, I can't believe my eyes. And in my bones, I feel the warmth that's coming from inside. Oh, look, what's this? The hanging mistletoe. They kiss? Why, that looks so unique. Inspired! The gathering around here is story roasting chestnuts out of fire. What's this? What's this? In here, they've got a little tree. How queer! And who would ever think, and why? They're covering it with tiny little things. They've got electric lights on strings, and there's a smile on everyone. So now correct me if I'm wrong. This looks like fun, this looks like fun. Oh, could it be I got my wish? What's this? The children are asleep, but look, there's nothing underneath. No ghouls, no witches here to scream and scare them or ensnare them. Only little cozy things secure inside their dreamland. <sighs> What's this? Monsters are all missing and the nightmares can't be found And in their place there seems to be good feeling all around Instead of screams I swear I can hear music in the air The smell of cakes and pies are absolutely everywhere The sights, the sounds, they're everywhere and all around I've never felt so good before The empty place inside of me is filling up I simply cannot get enough I want it, oh I want it, oh I want it for my own I've got to know, I've got to know what is this place that I am found I used to have more hair. I used to. <laughs> this is Christmas Town. So uh, Jack is captivated by what he has found in Christmas Town. He's captivated by the wonder of the Christmas story, by the lights, by the joy, by the warmth. Nothing's dead uh, around him. He comes from a dead place where everything is dead. In Halloween Town, they work year-round to create Halloween, much like they do in the North Pole to create Christmas. So he's accustomed to ghouls and ghosts and witches and things preparing for the next Halloween. So he's, he's captivated by this wonder. Um, there's a, a comedian that I love that I saw with, uh, with um, Rob Bell. Pete Holmes is his name. And the term that he uses for this is being impregnated with wonder. I think it's appropriate for Christmas time. Um, but Jack is impregnated with the wonder of Christmas, and it's welling up inside of him. So instead of surrendering to this wonder, he tries to take it over and own it and do it himself and actually thinks that he could probably improve it, make it a little bit better. Something's up with Jack. Something's up with Jack. 
buzzing in my skull. Will it let me be? I cannot tell. There are so many things I cannot grasp. When I think I've got it, then at last, through my bony fingers it does slip. Like a snowflake in a fiery grip. Something here I'm not quite getting. Though I try, I keep forgetting. Like a memory long since past. Here in an instant, gone in a flash. What does it mean? What does it mean? In these little bric-a-brac, a secret's waiting to be cracked. These dolls and toys confuse me so. Confound it all. I love it though. Simple objects, nothing more, but something's hidden through a door. Though I do not have the key, something's here I cannot see. What does it mean? What does it mean? What does it mean? Christmas books so many times. I know the stories and I know the rhymes. I know the Christmas carols all by heart. My skull's so full it's tearing me apart. As often as I've read them, something's wrong. So hard to put my bony finger on. Or perhaps it's really not as deep as I've been led to think. Am I trying much too hard? Of course I've been too close to see. The answer is right in front of me. Right in front of me. It's simple, really. Very clear, like music drifting in the air. Invisible, but everywhere. Just because I cannot see it doesn't mean I can't believe it. You know, I think this Christmas thing is not as tricky as it seems. And why should they have all the fun? It should belong to anyone. Not anyone, in fact, but me. Why, I could make a Christmas tree. And there's no reason I can find I couldn't have a Christmas time. I bet I could improve it, too. And that's exactly what I'll do. <laughs> Eureka! This year, Christmas will be ours! And so Jack sets out on uh, employing all of the citizens of Halloween Town to assemble Christmas. As you can imagine, it, it doesn't go so great. Um, they don't understand the concept of presence. They don't understand joy. They don't understand uh, what all needs to go into Christmas. Concept C is a very foreign concept to them, living in concept B. Um, so he, what he does is he tries to do what he has seen done. He studies through scientific investigation to understand Chris, uh, Christmas, to understand Santa's role, to understand the bits and pieces of how it works. So he gets the mechanics down, and then he tries to dole out the pieces to the citizens of Halloween Town for them to put it together. He tries to do what he has seen done. It's a common temptation for us in religion. Well, now I am this, so I guess I have to do that. Uh, we'll look at him, her, they're doing this, so I should probably do that um, because now I'm this, right? I'm concept C now, I'm not concept B, so I should figure it out. I should piece it together. Religion can be us trying to do something that we're not. And even worse, it can be us trying to look like something that we're not. Well, his plan blows up, 
and he ends up, he does have Santa Claus kidnapped. He takes the sleigh and goes out on Christmas Eve and takes to delivering packages that are terrifying children across the nation. The government unites and they shoot him out of the sky. So the sleigh gets shot out of the sky and he lands in the arms of an angel in a graveyard. And it's in this moment that Jack finally surrenders. Have you ever had that happen? Ever wanted something so badly that you go to work to make it happen and it all falls apart? I know I have. When I became a believer, I became a hardcore zealot. I got a study Bible and I read it from cover to back and I was searching for answers and I wanted other people to hear those answers. And so I would force them to listen to long tracts of scripture or make them read through books. You gotta read through the Gospel of John. You have to, it's amazing. You're gonna, you're gonna love it. They hated it and I hated it finally, but it took a while. But being like Jack, I was trying to figure it out. I was trying to explain it. I was trying to make converts is what I was trying to do because I was told that that was what I was commissioned to do. In the arms of the angel defeated, Jack finally surrenders. The author of, or the the composer for this piece is a very, he's done lots of movie scores. Um, Sure that you know some pieces of his, but he, His name is Danny Elfman, and he maintains that this is a Halloween movie. Um, He says that the character of Jack he related to so much in that Christmas was a dark time for him. It, It was a time of isolation. And so he related more to the Jack character than he did to Christmas. And so this particular song, I left it out. I'm just going to read it to you because the visuals throw it off a little. But this next song was the hardest one for him to write, and it's called Poor Jack, and it is a moment, it's a pivotal moment for Jack where he does surrender, and there's a transformation that happens, and Danny Elfman says, I was given less than two minutes to turn the story completely around, to turn Jack completely around from what he is to what he's going to become for the rest of the movie, and it was very difficult. So here's poor Jack. What have I done? What have I done? How could I be so blind? All is lost. Where was I? Spoiled all, spoiled all. Everything's gone all wrong. What have I done? What have I done? Find a deep cave to hide in. In a million years, they'll find me. Only dust and a plaque that reads, here lies poor old Jack. But I never intended all this madness, never. And nobody really understood, well, how could they? That all I ever wanted was to bring them something great. Why does nothing ever turn out like it should? Well, what the heck. I went and did my best, and by God, I really tasted something swell. And for a moment, why, I even touched the sky. And at least I left them some stories they can tell. I did. And for the time, for the first time since I don't remember when, I felt just like my old bony self again. And I, Jack, the Pumpkin King, that's right, I am the Pumpkin King. And I just can't wait until next Halloween because I've got some new ideas that'll really make them scream. And by God, I'm really gonna give it all my might. Uh Uh-oh, I hope there's still time to set things right. There was time. But that repentance, I believe, is, is... that transformation, that surrender, it's critical to what we're doing. It's critical to what we do next, too. 
It isn't a one-time thing. It's a constant thing. And as we lay in the arms of the angel and we contemplate what to do next, the most important part for us is to remember to get out of the way, to not be the obstacle, but to press into the obstacle. Isaiah describes the repentance in the John passage. It's a renewing of the mind, a shift of perspective. Isaiah says, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Our job is not to explain the light to people. Our job is to show it to them. Our job as a collective body, all of us individuals together. Allow the light to shine through us. Take it into the world. The Christmas star shines within you. It shines within me. It shines within us. Concept C, Christmas, is the death of death. You see, this is a Christmas movie. It's a Christmas story because the minute you introduce concept C, Christmas, into a Halloween story, it ceases to be a Halloween story. Most people see it as a Christmas story, and Elfman maintains to this day that it is a Halloween story, but acknowledges that it's about Christmas. Well, I often get a common objection to this new theology that we have, this all things new, that God is working to make all things new, that he is redeeming all. And that common objection is biblically sound teaching. Is it biblically sound teaching? Is it biblically sound? I don't know. Is, is your teaching biblically sound? Why don't you tell me what you believe? And let's look at whether it's biblically sound. Describe biblically sound for me. Biblically sound to me implies that we fully understand this. I, I'm not sure we do. I think there's a wonder and a magic to Christmas that is not understandable by us. We do our best to understand the pieces that we can. But is it biblically sound? Well, I think that the nightmare before Christmas is a real manger scene view of our faith. We see Jack covered in concept B, but at least he tried. We can't be afraid to step into the barn, step into the mess, step into concept B, and get dirty. God's love is relentless. It's woven through the story from Genesis to Revelation, and even in the Apocrypha. We learn best by failure, shining in the darkness, covered in concept B. Santa, yeah, Santa Claus was kidnapped. Yes, presents were terrifying kids nationwide. But he did learn to surrender and let the light shine through him where he is. Are we afraid of the right darkness? I often ask myself. As I read the passage in John 12, I ask myself, are we afraid of the right darkness? Or are we hiding in the darkness through doctrine and tradition? Who is Jesus generally hiding from in Scripture? It's an interesting question to research later. I won't, I won't dig into it, but it's interesting to, to note who he hides himself from most regularly. 
Please close your eyes for a minute. Every, I'm not going to have you do anything scary, as Peter would say. Um, I'm not going to have you kiss each other like Kathleen was trying to do. Um, but I, I would like you all to just close your eyes for me for a minute and listen to these lyrics from this song. I did not write it. Um, but please listen to this and just, and just hear it. Have you ever thought about your soul? Can it be saved? Where perhaps you think that when you're dead, you just stay in your grave. Is God just a thought within your head, or is he a part of you? Is Christ just a name that you read in a book when you were in school? When you think about death, do you lose your breath, or do you keep your cool? Would you like to see the Pope on the end of a rope? Do you think he's a fool? Well, I have seen the truth. Yes, I've seen the light, and I've changed my ways. And I'll be prepared when you're lonely and scared at the end of our days. Could it be that you're afraid of what your friends might say if they knew you believe in God above? Should they, re, uh, they should realize before they criticize that God is the only way to love. Is your mind so small that you have to fall in with the pack wherever they run? Will you still sneer when death is near and say they may as well worship the sun? I think it was true it was people like you that crucified Christ. I think it is sad the opinion you had was the only one voiced. Will you be so sure when your day is near, say you don't believe? You had the chance, but you turned it down. Now you can't retrieve. Perhaps you'll think before you say that God is dead and gone. Open your eyes, just realize that he's the one. The only one who can save you now from all this sin and hate. Or will you, just, or will you still jeer at all you hear? Yes, I think it's too late. This... Uh, song was written in 1971 by this infamous gospel quartet. They're scary to some people. Very scary, Black Sabbath, to some people. The name itself scares some people. Do they embody darkness? I don't know. They live in it. Yet they point to a greater darkness, I believe, in the lyrics of that song. Religious dogma. There's a shifted perspective, much like that described by Jesus to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, that is important to our interaction with the light of Christmas. And when Jesus talks to Nicodemus, He's shocked that Nicodemus is not tracking with him. Nicodemus is a Pharisee, and they're having a conversation about being reborn. Nicodemus says, well, how, how can this happen? And Jesus says, you, are you not a teacher of the law? And you, and you don't, yet you do not understand these things. And then he goes on, and there's the popular John 3.16. You see it at every football game passage that everybody's familiar with. That John 3.16 passage is important. Um, there's, there's more there that's, that's important as well. Uh, a lot of my evangelical friends will remind me not to forget verse 18, where it, it basically says, if, if you don't put your faith in him, then you're not going to be saved. I would say, read on. There's more. And we'll get back to John later because the 12 passage is very similar to the 3 passage where he's talking with Nicodemus. But the Pharisees, it's the fear of the Pharisees in John 12. If we could go back to that scripture. Um, it's the fear of the Pharisees that are 
keeping or preventing some of the authorities from confessing their faith in Jesus so that they don't so that they aren't put out of the synagogue thank God for those who speak up even if they are put out of the synagogue The Pharisees are the keepers of the law. They're the protectors of the law. They're the interpreters of the law. And they're they're not really interested in what Jesus has to say because he's opening the law up to everyone. It's not for everyone. It's for us, say the Pharisees. It's it's, it's for the elect. It's, It's for the chosen. It's not for everyone. That's dangerous. It's dangerous talk. Well, in verse 43... For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. We see religion at its worst. We see self-consumption. We see projecting of an image, protecting of an image. Interesting lead-in to the next part of John's message, where Jesus cries out, Whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to the world to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. Religion to me here seems to be the darkness, the wicked things. But what what does Jesus do with that, though? What's his response? Let's look at verse 50 again. We'll look at it in many translations. Uh, The first sentence particularly is, is what I was interested in when I put this together. So I know that his command leads to eternal life, and I know his commands lead to eternal life, and I know that his command is eternal life, and I know that his command leads to eternal life. I know that his command meant is eternal life, I know that his commandment is eternal life. I know that his command is everlasting life. And King James, and I know that his commandment is life everlasting. If your translation isn't there, probably reads pretty similar. Peter did a great message on this. Um, You can look it up on the Relentless Love website, but I'm going to quote him now on verse 50. Transliterated from the Greek, verse 50 reads like this. And I know that the commandment of him is eternal life. Commandment carries the definite article. It is not a a commandment, not one of the commandments. It's the commandment, eternal life. So just as we saw last time, the judge in verse 31 must include all God's judgments, and now the commandment in verse 50 must include all God's commandments. We saw the power of love, the glory of love the judgment of love and this is the commandment of love god's commandment is not eternal life and or eternal death the commandment is eternal life and so all his commandments are this commandment the commandment is eternal life 
The light of Christmas is the ultimate light source. It flows through us like radio waves, microwaves, AM, FM waves. Jack said it's like music, invisible but everywhere. There are cell phone conversations going through all of us right now. Television shows, AM, FM, talk, radio, all that junk, whether you agree or disagree, it's all going through you right now. Um, and it's invisible but everywhere. And when we allow it, when, when we are designed to be conduits of that of the light of God in the world. And when we allow it to flow through us, it looks like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. But don't let the last one fool you. We aren't called to control these things, but rather to let them shine through us in spite of us. A tree is not in control of its fruit. A tree can't will, an apple tree can't will pears to grow on it. It can't even will apples to grow on it. The fruit appears, the fruit disappears. The tree is not in control of the seasons when no fruit is born. It goes fruitless for an entire year, an entire season. The tree can't do anything about it. So what do we do now? What do we do with this message? And does any of this information, does verse 50 change the Great Commission? I don't think it does. How do you make a disciple? Do you have to be in control to create a disciple? Can you be in control and create a disciple? How did Jesus make disciples? What did Jesus do? How did he spend his time? The Gospels are rich with stories of how Jesus spends his time. Right before the cross, what did he do? He trusted the truth, the commandment of God, eternal life, period. He is the judge hanging on the tree who chooses not to judge. I never understood what Peter meant by that until I dug into it a little deeper. Um, but he is the judge who chooses not to judge. We can't be afraid to step into the barn, the mess. At the same time, we are the Christmas star. We're the manger, the vessel that holds the light of the world. And he shines this light through us, drawing all people to himself. I'd like to join you by your side Where we can gaze into the stars And sit together Now and forever For it is plain As anyone can see Simply meant to be
I'm not suggesting that religion is evil or that religion is the only darkness. I'm merely observing that religion seems to be part of the darkness. Religion exists in Halloween Town because there's no need for it apart from this world. We live in Halloween Town. Like it or not, it is often our attempt to take control of God, to become God, to do it better. But it can be our collective surrender to God. And it should be our individual surrender to God. We're called to serve others. If you all would just take a minute to look at the person next to you, look at the person to your left, look at the person to your right, just look in their eyes. You are looking at someone in need of something, in need of connection, in need of friendship, in need of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, all those things. They're probably in need of self-control too. Um, I know I am. <laughs> uh, so don't judge them. Take their hand and surrender to the judge in love. James describes pure religion as this. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Why would James describe religion that is pure if impure religion isn't a reality? And what is a widow but a, a bride without her bridegroom? And what is an orphan but a child alone in the world, isolated? My dearest friends, if you don't mind, I'd like to join you by your side. Be filled with the light of Christmas. For it is plain as anyone can see, we're simply meant to be. And on the night he was betrayed, sorry. Jesus took bread and broke it, saying, This is my body given to you. Take and eat and do this in remembrance of me. And in the same manner, he took the cup. Took the right cup. And said, this is the new covenant, the eternal covenant, in my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it, all of you, and do it in remembrance of me. Take and eat, take and drink, both commandments. And this is the commandment, eternal life. So come to the table, tear off a piece of the bread, dip it in the cup. The dark cup is wine, the light cup is juice. And as you do it, surrender your judgments to God. And never be the same. And the verdict, this is the verdict, or the judgment, that light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. But whoever does what is true comes to the light 
so that it may be clearly seen that his or her works have been carried out in God. We're all stumbling around in this darkness together. So lighten up and be free to carry the inextinguishable light of Christmas out of this building and into the world by allowing Christ's light to shine through you upon the people around you, the people at hand, as Jesus would say. Believe the gospel. Don't judge it. Surrender to it. Trust it. For it is the truth for everyone. That is the commandment of eternal life.